You are here. Ooh, ooh. You, you are here. Ooh, ooh. Hey there, Shopamaniacs! You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, podcast all about front-end web design development. I'm Dave Rupert. With me is Chris Coyer. Hello, everybody. We have a um, we had a plan, a plan that's been formulating in our brains for a little while here. We have this is episode 331, so you know, just a massive archives here at the Shop Talk Show where we. Uh, talk very little about back-end development. This is a kind of a front-end development show. That's what, you know, Dave has, has back-end chops, and I, you know, I'm like a PHP cowboy and work on a Rails app and stuff. So it's not like I never see back-end code, but that's not my specialty. Uh, I think of myself much more as a front-end developer, and that's what this show is about. In fact, I think Dave opens the show often with, you know, the show we're all about front-end design and development or, or something. I don't even remember what you say, Dave. Something like that's that. That's what I say. You know, three hundred times it just sort of, yep. just sort of blurs, it's melted into the background. Uh, uh, so you could say our whole show is, in a sense, how to think like a front end developer. But I'd like to hone in on that idea specifically. Literally, this phrase: "How to think like a front end developer." Not to tell you exactly that it's prescriptive and you have to think this way, otherwise you're not a front end developer. But more into digging of, into how different front end developers think. Uh, uh, so we're going to ask them a series of questions that we've devised and get different people's opinion who all are front-end developers, whether they whether they think they are or not. I guess I've decided they're front-end developers and thus have invited them onto this show in which to talk about their role as a front-end developer. So it's going to be fascinating. And for, the, for, the, for, for our very first episode of this, long time, what I'd consider a front-end developer, we'll find out if he does or not, Mr. Eric Meyer. Hey, Eric. Howdy. Yay! So Eric is, you know, uh, I don't know. We've had you on the sh- the show before. Uh, uh, kind of a known for all kinds of CSS reasons, but also known for co-founding uh, an amazing conference series and stuff. Well, I'll let you introduce yourself a bit. What's going on, Eric? Oh, geez, what's going on? Well, I mean, there's the conference series and event apart. And uh, mm-hmm. let's uh, earlier this year, I finished the fifth edition of the CSS Pocket Reference, and late last year, published the fourth edition of CSS: The Definitive Guide. And I'm not actually writing anything right now, except for you know tweets, and <laughs> it feels a little weird. But uh, right, so CSS is you you kind of almost started your career with CSS, and it's remained very you've remained a CSS person fairly consistently. Yeah. Yeah, if your pony has one trick, you'd kind of have to try it out as often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you were in some ways were one of kind of the pioneers of CSS in like rolling that out in in production websites and things like that. Um, you've you've kind of what would be a good term shepherded kind of its growth like that, um, uh, uh, or, or it's a. It's kind of mass adoption. You you played a part. I yeah. I mean, I was I was part of a of a group of people. You know, shepherded, you know, makes it sound like I was solely responsible, and there were just so many. But I, you know, and um, I guess I would describe my role as a, a chronicler in some ways. Like yeah. basically, yeah. like many people, 
my career was largely built on the fact that CSS specifications are hard to understand for the average developer. Like if you read a specification, you very quickly get into the point of, I don't understand what they're trying to say here. And mm-hmm. so, and that's not just true for CSS. It's true for just about every specification I've ever read. There are some specifications that I, with a lot of experience reading specifications, read and come away from them going, I still don't know what how that's supposed to work. Like I get what they're after, but I don't understand the details. Anyway, so I like would just write about, hey, this is how this thing works. Hey, here's this property that maybe you didn't hear of because you didn't go through the 400 pages of the CSS2 specification to get all the way to this part in chapter 19 or whatever. Um, but, you know, in popularizing it. Like, I, I played a role in popularizing CSS. I think that's that's true. But, you know, I think Dave Shea had a much bigger role in that with CSS Zen Garden. But then once people were like, saw the Zen garden and we're like, Oh my God, CSS is a thing. I was there with the books along with other people to be like, here's to how to understand that. So let's say during the Zen garden days, did you say, you know what my job is in the world? I'm a front end developer. Was that like, was that a term then? Or is that newer than that? I feel like it's a little newer than that, at least as a, as a term of widespread currency. It's become more widespread than that s- since those days. Like at the time, we didn't just talk about, oh, front end versus back end, right? The Zen Garden days were we were still coming out of the era of everyone's a webmaster, which meant you had to be what we would now call a full stack developer. Of course, back then that meant that you understood that there was a CGI bin directory and maybe you could write some Perl. You know, we, we didn't have the, the vast... But would you would know? Would you even have known what it meant? Would somebody like or, or is it? Yeah, if someone, game? yeah, if someone said, you know, are you a front end developer? I would have said, yeah, I, that that's me. Um, okay, because I didn't do a lot. Of, I mean, I did a little backend, but not a lot. I was I was much more on the HTML and CSS side of things, even then. Right, right, right. And then so I, it's funny to think that almost a backend developer is almost a newer term, almost maybe. Yeah. I, I I think so. You know, because it because it was backend developers for a long time were they were literally developing things like Apache. Yeah, right. And so it was less into there was less databases and stuff being slinging around that like kind of came later. Like everybody knew what that database could be useful, but maybe weren't building as many websites powered by them. Right. Yeah. Certainly not in in those days. Um, you know, we were all. I mean. It, you, you got to remember Yahoo started as literally a set of hand edited static HTML pages. Yeah. It was, it was right. only later than they're like, maybe we should apply some structure to this. Well, there was structure, but it was, it was, it wasn't like database schema driven. It was at some point, whoever was in charge of a given sub page on Yahoo found that it was getting too big, like too long. There were too many links that they had hand edited into the page and then they would break it up into a series of categories. So if I wanted to be on restaurants, I had to email Jeff in, at Yahoo or something. Or something, yeah. yeah. At yeah. first, yeah, you just emailed, uh, yeah, the the guy who founded it and then eventually there was a small staff and you would email to be asked to be on the restaurants page and eventually the restaurants page would get so long that they would then, suddenly the restaurants page would become an index of Chinese restaurants and Mexican restaurants and American restaurants and, you know, Italian restaurants. And then you would click through those, through those to sub pages that then had a hand curated edited list of the, you know, whatever that category. By city. That's yeah. funny. I wonder if they did have actual restaurant listings. Cause you think the, 
larger taxonomy there is by city, not by type. And originally they probably did because, I mean, this is before the Zen Garden days, to be clear. This is like the mid-90s, right? When, you know, Yahoo actually stands for, it, it's, a, it's an acronym. Almost nobody remembers that. Really? I don't. Uh, yes. I, if I remember correct, well, yeah, you guess. I'll look it up. I think I remember it. Uh, you guess. I got one. You are here. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> you, you are here. Ooh, ooh. That's good, David. That, that's not bad. Chris, you got a guess? Uh, no, you just, I would like to know the answer, please. It stands for yet another hierarchical officious oracle. Wow. wow. Yet another. Like there was so many mm-hmm. that, like when people make yet another image slider or whatever. Right. Oh, wow. Yep. Although, uh, supposedly that's a backronym. So, uh, supposedly they came up with that later. Oh, but, mm-hmm. um, it was probably pretty early. Cause I remember like when I first came across Yahoo as a site, I'm pretty sure that already was what it was called. Like, I think it was in the, at the top of the pages where it had the little Yahoo logo. I think it actually said it in tiny text, but I might be misremembering. Anyway, so so an author of many books, a front-end developer. You'd, if yep. somebody asked you now if you're a front-end developer, you'd, you'd still say yes, perhaps? I would still say yes, even though I, I do do some back-end stuff. Not to the extent, like I'm not running Node.js or whatever. That's not the kind of thing that I do. Nothing against that. It's just not the kind of thing I do. I have been, like I've worked with CMSs and templating and CMSs and programming, doing a little bit of programming around those, you know, WordPress, uh, Expression Engine, um, yeah. and recently craft, I've been working on craft, uh, quite a bit and liking it. So, uh, you know, to me, that's kind of backend development because I'm, I'm doing something on the server that gen, you know, then generates the stuff that happens on the front end, but I'm not like rewriting parts of the craft core or extending craft or whatever. I, I, right. I could, I think of that the same way. Like, where is that line in which you went it, I think there's probably people out there that would say that if what you're doing is editing CMS templates, that's a front-end development job. Mm. But it, as somebody who strongly identifies as front-end only, it, it feels like, no, no, this this is written in a language that must execute at mm-hmm. the server level. So, no, it isn't front-end. It's back-end. I feel the same way. To me, whatever you're doing to generate the stuff that goes to the browser, that's back-end. And the stuff that comes to the browser is front end. That's where I draw the line, pretty much. So, I mean, that I, you know, not to dance around it. That that's kind of our first question. Like, do you consider yourself a front end developer? Yes. And yes. and and what are the other characteristics of that role? Like, you know, if if you had to define it, I guess you know, like, what is a front end developer today? Like, let's I guess let's not do the history train, but what does mm-hmm. it look like now? Hmm. I, what it looks like now is somebody who, to me anyway, is is somebody who worries about the you know the HTML, the CSS, the JavaScript, you know the the um, the performance in the browser. It's interesting the 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 sort of bandwidth consumption. I think that both ends, both backend and front end, share that responsibility. Like how fast can we get stuff to people? And and how small can we make it in order to make it faster? But once it's there, once once it's come down, however big or small it is, like that's what they're worried about. And and so there's there should be a dialogue between the front end and the back end, you know, because if the back end is just spitting out nothing but divs with classes on them, 
like the front end person needs to go to the back end person and say, yeah, we, this, this isn't working. We need a different structure. Right. But that's sort of what they take as their, their area of, of not only expertise, but concern, um, is that this is what needs to be happening here. Um, you know, and it might be somebody who knows a ton of JavaScript and can handwrite it all, or it might be somebody who only uses libraries like jQuery, or it might be somebody who never writes JavaScript at all. Um, and Yeah, uh, it doesn't make you not a front-end developer. Right. I mean, I think you need to at least understand JavaScript and its role, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be able to write everything from scratch. Um, right. Same Just thing like with you're not CS- extending craft CMS, right? Um, and I feel the same way about CSS and HTML for the most part. It's like you don't have to know every single property or value or whatever, or or every element and attribute, um, but you do have to be concerned about those things and 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 asking yourself, is there a better way to do this? Like I could absolutely position every element on the screen, but I should know why that's either a good idea in the specific case or a bad idea in most cases. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by NativeScript. It's nativescript.org slash shoptalkshow, of course. It's a great name for a product because it's it's how to build native apps like native to iOS, like a native iOS app and a native Android app, which you know are totally two separate languages that you need to write in to create apps in that way. Uh, uh, and obviously that's a problem, right? Like not every business can afford to rewrite an app twice, nor is it particularly efficient or very fun. Uh, so, you know, developers are always looking for a solution for that. You know, we like, wouldn't it be nice if we could like have a web app, but also have native apps in the store? And there's web wrapper type of web view stuff you can do for that. But it's not super ideal. It's not nearly as nice as an actual legit native app code driven application. So that's what native script does. You can write your app in JavaScript, or if you want to write it in TypeScript, that's cool. You can even use a framework, Angular or Vue, super popular frameworks, of course. Write your app that way, and NativeScript turns it into a native app for you. So get 100% access to all the native APIs with JavaScript. Uh, uh, and reuse still packages from NPM, all the stuff that you're you're used to being able to use, uh, uh, you can use it with NativeScript. So pretty darn cool. Check it out, nativescript.org slash shop talk show. So this term for an developer, you know, maybe it's it's not particularly new. We've we've looked at, but but maybe it's broken off over time. And you think it it might it may break again? I mean, right away you went to to kind of a performance aspect to to front end development. Is that gonna is that a possible like future specialty or, or different title? It, certainly, it's possible. Um. You know, we've already specialized a number of things as it is, but um, I I think if you're going to be a front end developer of of any of any variety, you need to be concerned about these things, right? You need to you st- even if you're not like if someday performance optimization developer becomes a thing. If you're not one of those, but you're still working on front end, you still need to be concerned about it. You know, and you, mm-hmm. if there's 
if there's somebody who has that role in your team, you still need to be talking with them a lot to say, like, you know, what are we doing that could be better? It seems weird we, to have a role that's like, I'm a, I'm a friend developer who's not concerned about performance. I'm an unconcerned about performance. <laughs> the same way I would feel like it's, it's weird to have a friend and developer who says, I'm not concerned about accessibility. Mm-hmm. But that became a specialized thing very quickly and the rest of the industry, like a whole lot of front end developers were like, I don't, we're, I don't have to, I don't want to think about that, which is sad on, uh, in my opinion, but it, it's how things happened. I hope that doesn't happen with performance. And I don't, I don't think it will because it is such an overarching concern. I wish accessibility had that same status. I mean, it does in my mind. And I think anyone who's doing front end development properly does have accessibility as a concern, but it's fu- it's such a funny thing. You're you, you're s- almost solely responsible for it. You are the person who ha- can possibly impact. It's almost nobody else's job. The front end developer mm-hmm. is entirely the person who can affect accessibility. Like yes. you're, that's it. It's entirely and, unless you're the unless you're one of those people who's in a front end situation where the back end is only spitting out divs and you can't get them to change it. Yeah. Wow. I think that, I, well, I hope that's rare. I guess I don't know that. I hope that's a rare situation. It seems like it. Uh, okay. So moving out a little bit, let's say you were tasked with being the friend developer on a, on a new project, which sure mm-hmm. happens to all of us once in a while. What is your idea? Like, like, assuming you still get excited about this job, at least to some degree, or let, let's say a, a project landed in your lap that you were excited about for any reason, but your role is to be the front-end developer in this in this new project. What's your ideal process? Like, if you could describe, like, what's the best thing that could possibly happen with this project, with me in this role? Can you imagine that scenario? What would it be like? So... Let me clarify. I'm. Are you saying that this is a team and I am the sole front-end developer? Ooh, good question. Let's say, uh, no. Like, that could be part of what you decide. Am I one of three? Am I one of ten? Am I by myself? <laughs> Maybe your ideal situation is you are. Yeah, it could be. It, well, uh, for some people, and for some projects, that actually would be my ideal. I, like, in a situation where I'm front-end and somebody else is back-end. That's a nice, yeah. a little, a little one-two punch feels good. Right. But well, because it's, there's one person that I can talk to to say, Hey, you need to be producing H twos here instead of H fours or you, Hey, mm-hmm. this needs to be a, you know, a, this kind of thing instead of a, that kind of thing. Yep. And Hey, you know, we're going to need to do X, Y, Z, you know, can you make it so it's actually producing that information <laughs> in your perfect world? They're very, they listen to you. They're responsive to that. Maybe they deep push back if they if they couldn't do it or there's a good reason not to or you definitely I mean in the, in that sort of small project situation yes to me that's the ideal that there's there's it's really you know a one two and that yeah. yeah that they can push back and say okay here's why that will take ten seconds to generate that information or you know here that can't be done because of the way the the legacy of the data structure whatever you know let's figure out a different way of doing it and that you know if i say hey i need you to generate blah 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 and they say why that like that that's fine but you know i don't know how many projects there are like that in a larger team i mean my i would feel like my role my ideal role in a larger project where there's multiple front end people multiple back end people you know let's say i'm working on uh 
a team that's redesigning the W3C website. Okay. Like from front to back, not yep. just redesigning, but like re-architecting, re-whatever. If I were in that kind of a team, um, I would want to be more on the implementation side. I, w- I would want to be an executor of vision, mm-hmm. I think. Um, because that would afford me the opportunity to like be not as clever as possible, but as... Uh, uh, sort of as efficient as possible, you know, to, to be able to say, okay, these are, we need to do these things. This is how we're going to do it, right? We're going to use Flexbox here instead of floats, or we're going to use grid here instead of Flexbox. Or is it you, those you kinds, are those, making those decisions, not somebody else? Right. Those kinds of questions, yeah. answering those kinds of questions, then actually like, doing them like writing that code and you know it might be also the the html not so much on the javascript just because there are so many people who are way better at javascript than i am and probably ever will be i I can write my own javascript but it's a little clumsy and halting and there are way better people than i am but just to yeah and to be able to say hey this design thing is really cool what's a really cool way that we can implement it that's still that that's forwardly enhancing you know, is progressively enhancing and um, you know, doesn't, doesn't rob any ability to access information. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be my ideal role. You know, still someone who interfaced with the rest of the team, I'd want to be able to talk to the back end, et cetera. Like I, I, I like just about everything. I like to learn almost everything about this, not learn in the sense of now I'm going to be a, a, a Perl programmer, but, just to like get in with the people who are writing the Perl or the PHP or the whatever and like see how they're doing things just to be exposed to more ideas and more, more stuff. So Um, your role is a little isolated, but you are, but you're still inner, but you're not, it's not that you don't see what's happening. You're very interested in what other people are. Yeah. 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 I want to see what everyone's doing, even if I don't understand every detail of what they're doing. Right. It's kind of the same uh, for those. I think for a lot of us who are front end developers, when if you see a like if you go on Stack Exchange to some programming language you don't really know, and you look at some of the examples, you could probably follow roughly what's happening in them, right? Unless it's a language that's just the syntax is so alien that it's nothing you've ever seen. But if I showed people like some of my old Pascal, like I wrote Turbo Pascal in the early '90s, if I showed that to people today, they could more or less follow what I was doing, even if they've never written Pascal, right? And uh, when I look at Okay, Perl's maybe a bad example here, but if I look at PHP code that I've never encountered before, you know, if somebody puts up a Haskell example, I could probably sort of follow along. So I like to do that. I like to, you know, like, hey, how Assuming are you doing Assuming that naming is right, right? Like if you made a, right. if you wrote Turbo Pascal tic-tac-toe, hopefully your functions are set up board, determine right. active player. You know, there's probably things like that in the code that you're like, oh, I get it, yeah. Right. And then even when you go down into the, into the code itself, you can probably follow and you might be like, I don't, I don't know what this keyword is, but I sort of get what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I like, I like to see what other people are doing because I, like I can get an idea of, oh, this is, this is kind of how this works. And, you know, maybe I've never, like, I've never worked with Node.js like ever. I've never been on a project that needed it. Mm-hmm. But if I were on a, a project that needed it, I would I would want to see what they were doing, and it, it wouldn't be a hey, can you ex- take an hour to explain all of this to me? It's just like I just want to see what you're doing, because um, that it always fascinates me. 
I had this experience last week, even somebody, a prospective client was like, do you know C sharp? And I said, no, but if you hum a few bars, <laughs> I think I could get it. Um, just because it is, you know, syntactically, an if statement looks like an if yeah. statement, and things are going to. It just gets weird map, when you're in some you know? languages like public, static, function, void, and you're like, "What is all that?" True, I, I do have a Java project right now, and and I, I, I hit a roadblock. I, I tried to, I, I just needed like a, is this product a, you know, a, a special item, you know, flag, like just a simple function. I know how to do that. I thought, hey, I can write Java. I did not know how to write Java, and it. I needed it. I needed a bailout pretty bad. So um, that happens. You know? Yeah, and and I would probably be in a similar situation. In fact, uh, if if you get the opportunity to have somebody do a live stream where they're re-implementing your JavaScript in C sharp, I totally recommend it because wow. it makes it easier to follow what they're doing. <laughs> this happened to me recently. Um, I wrote this little. Uh, resonant orbit calculator for Kerbal Space Program, which I did in you know, SVG and JavaScript, basically. I mean, there's HTML and CSS, but it's mostly SVG and JavaScript, um, where you just plug in some values, and then the, SV, the, the JavaScript changes the SVG to like show you what the orbit should look like. Anyway, uh, somebody who does actual Kerbal Space Program plugin development just like saw that and really liked it, so he like, rewrote the whole thing in C Sharp. So yeah. Made for a good YouTube. Pretty cool. Yeah, well, from you know, for those who like that sort of thing, it's the sort of thing they like. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, but having done that, I'm sure if someone said, "Do you know C sharp?" My answer would be, "No." But if you hum a few bars, I might yeah. be able to fake it. And I, you know, my first several hours of writing C sharp would be, "Why did this compile fail?" <laughs> right? Just, yeah. Just like just yeah. like you had with Java, David, be like, "Oh no, I, I don't actually know this at all." <laughs> Yeah, no, I, for me, the uh, moving to any type system, mm-hmm. like even TypeScript, which is very, you know, derivative of JavaScript, yeah. it's it's tough because I'm like, I am missing an angle bracket somewhere and I do not know where. So. Yeah, that's that's the rough part with languages like that. Mm-hmm. But is that they're, they don't. They're unforgiving. They're very, which, right. They're, <laughs> they're the, the polar opposite of the web, which is incredibly forgiving. Right. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I actually really love about the web is that it's language. I mean, JavaScript is an exception here, but CSS and HTML are so forgiving. And I know that frustrates some people, right? Especially, I think, people who came up in typecast languages that, you know, they, they if there's an error, they want the entire thing to fall down, so they have to fix it. Like, they're just, that's what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And I... That frustrates me incredibly because I'm I'm used to the, all right. So I tried to close my H one with a, with a B, and that didn't work for, <laughs> for me. R tag, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I still saw stuff like I got some results. They were the wrong result. They were the results I expected. Just but, write JSX. Yeah. <laughs> it won't compile. Uh, I've found this to be long true of myself. Is when when if my role is to both need to design something and then also implement it like HTML and CSS wise that I can do that. And I don't necessarily hate it, but I'm not at my best. And then if I'm, if I'm tasked with doing one of the two of those things that I'll do a better job. Like if they're just like, can you just design this and somebody else, we have plenty of people to implement it. That's great. I'm not often given that opportunity, but I think I would pull out all the stops that, you know, bring up, do my best design wise, or much more commonly I'm handed a design 
from a, a talented designer. And then I, it's my, I get to decide, oh, this is great. I get to use grid here and I'll use a little SVG mm -hmm. thinger over here. And that, I love that. Um, yep. Is that what you were kind of getting at? Is that if your, yeah. your ideal role is to possibly just be an implementer of someone else's good designing, otherwise good decision making? Yes. Just, yeah, because they're going to make way better decisions than I am. And then you know, the, the implementation, hopefully I'll make better decisions than they would. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting at. I, that's, and I, you know, I get that opportunity actually at Event Apart. The an Event Apart website is not designed by me. It's actually been mostly designed by Mike Peck of uh, Monkey Do. And, uh, but it was implemented yeah, he, by you, yeah? Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. Um, parts of it. The initial implementation, well, so the design that doesn't, totally exist anymore because we've re we've mm -hmm. we've refreshed it over the years but he actually just handed it he just he did everything which was fine at the time but yeah now he's he's basically doing the here's the design right and he yeah he might have coded it responsibly but i don't actually look at his code anymore i I Trust. figure out how I want it to work. Well, here's a, a, a new fresh question here. What do you find the most challenging about front-end development? Maybe we'd even assume that we're, we've moved on from the last question, that you're you're in your ideal role and you're doing what you want to do, which is implementation. What's the most challenging part about that? Besides people. Yeah. I kind of even put that as a note on here is that, you know, people are hard, so... People, people, people can. What's people, the hardest it, computer thing? It's, a, it, it, it's right. It's and it's actually it's not even people. It's communication. It's clear communication. But that's still people. Anyway, um, I I, I hate to seed the the question too badly, but because you stay on top of things pretty pretty well, right? I mean, it, you wouldn't you wouldn't say like CSS grid is the hardest thing in front end. No, that's the easiest thing, and that's why the this is actually why this question is difficult for me. Because things are so much easier now than they were even a year ago. <laughs> like, I, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, five years ago, let's say, I'll, I'll go back. Five years ago, I just would have said layout. Uh -huh. right? Like, m getting things to go where they should go. Mm -hmm. That's not a challenge anymore, which is, it's weird. <laughs> so, is, is cross-browser stuff in there, though? Like, or do you, because I know that, that there's some success stories there, even with layout. But, uh, you know, let's say you got to go back pretty far. I mean, yeah, if it's a project where I have to go back pretty far, then layout might be a challenge, but not in the way that people usually think of it because in my ideal role, I'm, you know, I'm going to be able to say, okay, well, IE9, all of this stuff is just in sequential order as though you were on your iPhone, right? Whereas in newer browsers, we're going to use Flexbox to arrange these things or we're going to use Grid to put them where they go because the adoption rate is there. Right, grid is a, a. I think it's above seventy five percent adoption at this point. Flexbox is like just confirmed recently. Flexbox support is literally more widespread than border radius support. And when oh. when I said that on Twitter recently, so I was like, that cannot possibly be true. And that was my reaction. Is it cause, because because Opera yeah. Opera Mini supports Flexbox, but not border radius? <laughs> um, that but blows still, my mind. Yes. Right, um, they're both at like ninety-eight point something percent, and you know the point five, the one point five percent is either it's surprising to me because Flexbox is so weird. I'm so glad that so many browsers have got it. 
Flexbox was weird for the longest time, if you remember, because there were like three different implementations and three different specifications. So the implementations kept having to be updated to the specification. And so you could literally have an older version of the browser be incompatible with a newer version of the browser because the specification had changed. Grid didn't do that. They got all of that happening behind developer flags, right? So there weren't these publicly shipping grid implementations where grid was like half done. They learned from the Flexbox mistake, basically the Flexbox errors, um, in that in that way. So that by the time it by the time the flags came off and it was publicly shipped, it was done. Basically, I mean, modulo bugs. Of course, there are going to be interactions that people are going to find because when you take something like that and release it into the general population, somebody's going to like take sixteen different properties that nobody had ever considered combining with Grid before and discover that. Hey, it doubles the margins here or whatever. <laughs> um, but when it comes to like implementation intent, it was, it was so close to a hundred percent. It was, it was almost weird. Um, it was, it was a weird experience. It was, it was like nothing we'd ever seen before. So, so I guess to me, the biggest challenge at this point would be the, the challenge that I think is always lurked in the background, which is managing the, basically managing the organization of things technically, right? Mm -hmm. So like managing your style sheet so that it doesn't grow organically out of control and you're eventually adding importance to override the thing that you can't figure out what you were doing before. Like the entire thing that, that BAM and OOCSS developed to try to combat, it's still a challenge, right? I think that would be my, I think that's my biggest challenge usually is the, is the organizational and and maintenance kind of, yeah, keeping to DRY principles while not so, while not making things so sort of interlockingly fragile that that doing something new is going to make it all fall down. <clears throat> Figuring out how to do that is still I don't think anyone's figured it out. You know, BAM and OOCSS and those sorts of things are are great approaches and they certainly work for a lot of people, but they're not. I, you know, I don't think the the originators or practitioners of those would tell you they're perfect. They would tell you they're much better than making it up as you go along, which I totally get. Any large code base is going to have those problems, right? It's not like the backend developers have this all figured out and all of their code is maximally, optimally efficient, right? CSS is just, and HTML, but CSS and, and JavaScript are to the point now where you can do so much with them that you get to those levels of complexity. And so you've you have to have some sort of strategy for dealing with them, whether it's one of these methodologies or it's your own homebrew, this works in my head methodology, whatever it is, you got to have something and it gets a lot more complicated when it's not just you, when you're working in a team, because everyone's got to be on basically the same page. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge as a front end developer is not stepping on the toes of past you or not leaving landmines for future you. I had one, I, I almost felt like retiring from design. It was so challenging in CSS. I haven't faced this difficult of a CSS challenge lately in, in a long time. And it was just, it's kind of what you said about how but organizationally and naming and structure and stuff it was kind of like I had these headers to create and there was, there kind of could be in, in four possible different states. And some of them were very different from each other. And some of them were very similar to each other, but they were rendered as different components. And it was, some of the shit, like BEM, like it was almost useless to me. It didn't, it didn't help because mm. it was like some of these styles are shared, but only shared between style two and three. And some of them are one and four, and one of them are some of them are four and three. And I just, 
I was trying to do it as efficiently as I could. And I almost gave up and was like, I don't, I'm just going to isolate all of them and rewrite styles if I have to, because there's just too much overlap. But then that was started to bother me. And I was like, no, no, I need to, I want to reuse as much as absolutely possible. And I, I know that's, that's terrible, makes for terrible radio explanation. You know, you'd have to see it, but it was tough. I, you know, I think probably most people listening to the show are going to get what you're talking about. <laughs> I think we've all been there in one way or another. Uh, anyway, I love that that area. So, what about you know your skill set as it exists today? Do you consider yourself a a specialist in some sub area of front end development? Would you say? Well, I'm. I mean, yes, CSS. I'm a CSS specialist. What about what if you had to pick within CSS? You mean in the language itself, as opposed to sort of the like I'm practice. amazing at border radius. That is my <laughs> specialty. <laughs> um, it's tricky. Yeah. Some some people kind of are like. Like layout people, I think there's also, you know, kind of experimental property people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I would probably be in that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess refactoring people too. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not really in a refactoring specialty. Um, yeah. Probably the sort of the cutting edge, exploring what what's becoming possible and what's coming next. I kind of on the spec end, yeah. you kind of talked about yeah. it before. Yeah. Um, I think that's. That's, and and then ideally, then being able to turn around and say to, you know, the the public at large, check this out, <laughs> right? Like, this thing is either possible now or should be possible soon. And I actually, I I like the should be possible soon a little bit better than the possible now. Like possible now is cool, right? Like grid is awesome, and possible yeah. now. But to be able to say, hey, this thing is coming, and here's what it's supposed to do, and here's where you go to tell the working group if you have any suggestions for how it could be better. Um, that's, I like that area particularly. One blew my mind that I just learned recently. You know how you, I'm sure you long have known this and have long dealt with it. I just accepted it as truth, which is if you put any part of a selector is invalid, the whole thing is invalid, right? Okay. That's just a known fact of development. And that it was recently changed that, if it's a pseudo element mm-hmm. and it's has a like a dash in it, like it's a uh, vendor prefix which we all hate or whatever, but just they still exist, uh-huh. that that doesn't invalidate the selector, mm-hmm. so you, mm-hmm. which is opens up some weird things. The the most common one is like you know you go colon colon selection, like you're gonna okay. style the selected text, mm-hmm. but then Mozilla never had that. They only had Moz selection. Okay. You couldn't combine that selector because it's it invalidated the whole thing, right. but now it doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know why I decided. To uh, no, that's, you know, <laughs> these, because these are the things right where there are these little, these little nuggets of received truth or even, even derived truth, right? Where you experienced a thing where you, you know, five years ago tried to do something and it fell down and you worked out why right? Like really went back to the, oh, it's because of this line in the specification means that, like you said, you know, if any part of the selector is invalid, the whole thing gets thrown away. Like the whole rule is out the window. Okay. Makes sense. You understand it. And it becomes sort of part of what you, it becomes part of your instincts, right? You know, not to go over there, but then it changes. And then you find out, wait a minute, I can go over there now. And that, that's, that's always cool. I, I have a story from yesterday to illustrate this. Uh, yeah, uh, we were we had a GIF uh, that we were trying to put in a site, but it had the jagged edges, oh. you know, like the anti-aliasing mm-hmm. edges. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, somebody was joking and said, oh, if only we could use CSS to like make it look good. And immediately my brain is like MS interpolation mode by cubic. <laughs> and I just, it's not, it doesn't work. It's not going to work in this, but, and there's also like an image rendering prop in, mm-hmm. uh, in spec. And I just was like, I, why do I know this? This is so dumb. I know this, but I know this. You know where I thought there, you were going to go is like a, some kind of filter that would, okay. if like if the jagged edges are often white, you know, because that's the mm-hmm. matte that they've picked, that there, maybe there's a filter that could kill the white, but leave the rest of the color. Mixed blend mode, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do like a, a nuke it on mixed blend mode. I don't, I don't know that that would be possible. See, I don't understand blend modes. That's my Achilles heel. I'm not sure that I, design. what's the difference? Yeah, blend mode is like applying like, <laughs> like color and uh what are the other ones <laughs> well subtraction yeah i mean blend mode you've got the uh, multiply screen yeah multiply screen yeah etc dodge and burn you, color you dodge. think of those i think color. of those as filters but they're not filters are like grayscale yeah. sepia yeah yeah Ugh. it's it's a little bit of a weird split i i'm kind of with you on that I feel like the the mixes should become filters, and it wouldn't surprise me if at some point down the road they they get folded in. Like mixed blend mode would still exist, but you would also have maybe blending filters. So there's filter, mixed blend mode, background blend mode, yes. and backdrop filter. Ah. There's four different ones. None of those four can apply a filter to a background. Like if you want to grayscale just the background image of an element, right. that's not a thing, which just blows my mind. Uh, yeah, um, th- I, I think that's an area where the thing should should move forward. But uh, there's also the isolation property. I don't know if you've come across that yet. Mm. No. Is it, doesn't it have to do with layout or no? No. So in isolation, isolation is when you can say for an element, okay, I'm going to, I want to blend some stuff together, but I don't want it to blend with its backdrop. I want it to act like the stuff that I blended together then becomes like a, a raster image. And it doesn't blend with everything behind it. Yeah. No, I have not come. Most, most people haven't. And it, it's not like called mix isolation or anything. It's literally just called isolation. But it allows you to isolate a, an element from blending with the stuff behind it. So it's, it's almost visually, it's almost like you dropped a little live frame in there. Um, uh. Visually, not in any other way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just to be clear. Yeah. Got it. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Netlify. Oh, Netlify is so great. It's like web hosting uh, uh, evolved. It's just so great working with it. It's fun to have known about Netlify and used Netlify and then uh, listen as other developers discover it or you'll see tweets on Twitter and be like, have you heard of Netlify? It's incredible. I saw one tweet that said, it's like somebody actually like designed website deployment, you know, rather than having it be an afterthought or having a web host company not help you at all with deployment. Doesn't it make sense to have a web host that helps you get files to them? That's what Netlify is. So you have like a Hugo site or something, right? It's like a static site generator kind of thing. And you're working with it locally and you have a Git repository of your site. Like it's so common for us all to work these days. You sign up for Netlify, you point the Netlify to watch that Git repository, and then as you commit to that uh, uh, 
branch of that repo, it just automatically deploys to Netlify. And of course, you can configure it all up or whatever, but imagine that. You make a commit and then your stuff is live or to the particular branch or however your Git flow works. So Netlify is, you know, one-to-one connected with that repo. And so it's like you don't have to like have some middleman deployment service in the middle of it. Netlify does that for you. So it works great with sites that have a build like Hugo does or Jekyll or whatever. It works great with static site generators. But just because you're working with static site generators doesn't mean your site has to be limited in any way. And in fact, Netlify really likes talking about the Jamstack, which is, sure, maybe just maybe you're using kind of static hosting, meaning, you know, just HTML files, CSS, and JavaScript. But these days, JavaScript is so powerful, you can use APIs to bring in your data and still build a very like CMS-y, super dynamic. You can build any kind of website there is and still use a kind of static, super fast build. There's so many advantages to that. It's great. Make sure you, it's, it's hard to talk about in two minutes, but uh, check out netlify.com. You, you won't regret it. It's so cool. So I'm not sure if I phrased this next question perfectly well, but I think you'll get what I mean by it. What wars do you like to wage and what wars do you like to stay away from? Like if you're on this team, even if it's your perfect team, your personality brings to this party like, all right, this is one that I I feel pretty strongly about here, team. Uh, I am never going to give up the war to make the information as accessible as possible. And when I say accessible in this case, I mean not just like available for people who use assistive technology, but I also mean people who are coming in with a, you know, a feature phone browser, right? Like an old StarTech kind of browser where it's literally just text um, or somebody who's, who has all they have is internet Explorer six because they have a, you know, hand me down windows machine that they can't afford to update, whatever it is. Right. That's, I, I mean, accessibility in that way as well, where the information, the thing is as accessible as possible, right? If we're making a Space Invaders clone, I understand that the feature phone is probably not going to be able to understand the canvas rendering, but right. If, if I'm redoing the, but there better not be information on that canvas that's only available on that canvas. Um, right. When it comes to, you know, what, what the thing is, right. It can say, Hey, you know, this is what this is about. Like we, we made a little, you know, specification maze for fun in web VR and your thing doesn't support web VR and, you know, sorry, but, but that this requires VR for some reason. I don't, I, I never want anyone to just get a blank page ever for any reason in any browser. Um, yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Blank page because it's you just got done saying earlier that it would be okay if the layout wasn't identical right. in some browser. You're not saying that. You're just saying that it's not a blank page. Right, information is still there. Yeah, and and um and also if it if we made a specification maze and if which don't ask me what that actually looks like, but I just came up with it, so we're going with it. Like for fun, we're going to do a specification maze. Okay, what's the what's the least technological way? What's the least advanced, least advanced way to implement that? Jeremy Keith talks about this a lot where, you know, you, 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 you do it in the most basic possible way and then you can add stuff on top of it to make it cooler. Right. So 
like in his, one of his examples is Twitter is a text area, a couple of, maybe a couple of inputs and a submit button, and then a list of things that other people have said. And if you like his sort of the idealistic way to implement Twitter is to do it that way. But it's like literally then you click submit and you're, it does a round trip to the server. And then if you want to see new tweets, you hit reload, right? Mm-hmm. But then you add, then once you've done that, then stuff gets added on top so that nobody has, so that someone who has simple um, Ajax type support in their browser doesn't have to hit reload anymore. Stuff streams in automatically. And maybe they don't have to do the round trip to the server to su- submit the tweet. That like they they click the tweet button and it doesn't refresh the whole page, um, right? Like that kind of thing. So if we have a specification maze, like can we do it in a way that somebody who is using links on their Unix machine could still get something out of it besides, hey, this requires WebVR, like some sort of experience that is then enhanced in other ways. That's that's a war I'm always going to go for and that and that in performance can we make this as small as possible those are the two wars i will always fight even if i don't want to i'm always going to fight those um does that do those wage against each other like like greatest support with like minimal code or uh, i'm sure they can in some situations yeah but i'm still Mm -hmm. i'm always i am always personally going to come down on the side of more access um you know and, and even if it's in a situation like i say where i don't I don't want to have this fight, but I'm going to because that's part of my job. Like that's literally a core of my job is to make sure that the most people can get the most information out of whatever it is that I'm working on. That's what the web was designed to do. It's literally a foundational principle is accessibility in the sense of like anyone can access the information no matter what. Um, what do I stay away from? I try to stay away from methodology wars. I, I accidentally stepped in one recently by trying to be clever um, and sort of humorous. And, and I, I failed badly. And as John Scalzi says, the failure mode of clever is whole. So that's kind of how I came off. And I feel bad about that. But Methodology in what way? Like this is the, the way that you should code something? Yeah. Like BEM versus SMACS versus OOCSS or... Mm less versus SAS versus no preprocessor at all. So even tooling is in this category. Yeah. Like I, I know what I like for me, but I'm not going to go into a team, for example, insisting they use my methodology and I'm not going to go to war over, Oh, we can't use X. I don't care if most of you think it's cool. I I may have technical reasons why this, you know, using X is a bad idea here, but it's, you know, that comes back to the war that I'm willing to fight, which is accessibility and performance. Um, but I'm not going to be like, we can't use a preprocessor. Those are for simpletons or whatever. Like, no. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to like, I've had people say, you know, on Twitter or wherever it's like, Hey, what, what preprocessor do you prefer? Lesser SAS. And my answer is always, I don't use either. And I'm, that's not me telling you you're wrong to use them. It's just me saying, I don't use them and I'm not going to tell you which is better or worse or should have, Professional user preprocessor. No, that that's not. I'm not interested in that. You know, I'm interested in people getting yeah. things done, and I'll I'll always fight with them about. Hey, this thing is un, is inaccessible, but I'll I'll never fight with them about. You shouldn't have used, blah blah blah. 
unless blah, blah, blah is exactly what makes it inaccessible. And they're like, well, I can't make it accessible because the thing that I'm using makes that impossible. Then I'm going to be like, then you need to stop using that. You need to use something else. Well, our next question is about, is about hiring and that might go nicely into this a little bit in that, in that would you, let's say you're, you're involved with the hiring of a front end developer. It sounds like, I don't know, somebody kind of fighting against the idea of accessibility or something might be a, a red flag for you or oh, yeah. what would you like kind of look for and not look for? Um, that would be a huge red flag for me. Yes. Um, yeah. Somebody who comes in and says, you know, Oh, we do every, you know, obviously I only need to know JavaScript because everything's in JavaScript and you know, that's a red flag for me because it says to me that they're, they prioritize their convenience over that of their users. You know, I might ex- talk with them further and and then hopefully find out that they're saying, well, JavaScript is what I know, but I'm open to learning other things. Like in a hiring situation, there's the weird dance of expectations and what you think people expect and trying to meet those expectations. I always try to get past that. But um, yeah, someone who says accessibility is, I don't do accessibility because other people worry about that. That's a huge red flag for me. And again, accessibility in the sense of access to information as well as assistive technology support. The flip side of that is if somebody came in singing its praises, that that would be a... Um, it would be a, it would, it would remove that possibility of a red flag. Um, I would have to see how that played out. So I, I actually have been involved. Yeah, in can you care too much about accessibility? Not that so much as it's one thing to sing the praises, but yeah. let me see something you've coded. Right. Okay. Because it's one thing to say accessibility is awesome, but it's another thing to actually try to implement it. And so, you know, somebody shows me their portfolio and I view source or I run it through voiceover or whatever and I run into problems, I'm going to talk to them and say, so you, t- you know, you said accessibility is really important, but why do you know, I encountered these problems. Can you talk about why that happened? And maybe, you know, maybe they tell me, yeah, so originally I had in all blah, 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 but then the client took it all out. And then I say, all right, well, that happens. Or they might say, Oh yeah, you know, then I get a bunch of excuses and then I have to move on, unfortunately, in that situation. Um, you know, I'm not going to hold them to, hey, this padding is off in Internet Explorer 6 like that. That's baloney. But um, I've been involved in the hiring of a developer and really what I look for is uh, someone who's open to learning. I would rather have someone who can learn than someone who already knows what I'm looking for. Um, for the most part. I mean, hopefully they have some familiarity with what we're looking for. Like if I'm hiring a front-end developer and they've never touched CSS, that's a problem. But if they've written basic CSS and are open to learning more, that's, I'll, I'll take that probably any day of the week. Um, and then what we got down to at the end was we, when we were hiring for a developer, um, actually narrowed it down to just a, I think it was two and then uh, paid them to implement something. The, the same thing, actually. Um, you know, and it was just, it was a simple, it was a fairly simple thing. It sh- you know, we said this shouldn't require more than a couple of hours. And if, if you feel that it does, get back to us with why before you start. But then we, you know, we paid them an hourly rate, each of them, to say, to, you know. And yeah. so we got you know, hopefully their best work. And in the end, it was still a hard decision, but we picked one and, you know, we said to the other one, look, we've decided to go with the other person and they were, they were okay with it. 
Um, and I think it helped that we paid them, right? I mean, because we were asking them to do actual work. Um, so it, it, that's, that's how we did it. And I, I think by that point, we were past all the red flags and it was really just coming down to, you, know, you got to pick one. Yeah. You got to, you got to pick one. And we just, we really wanted to see what they could come up with in, in sort of the time allotted. Cause it was, it was a simple problem, but it was a little open-ended and I don't remember the exact problem. I wish I could, cause it's been a few years, but um, you know, just to see, you know, is one of them going to take this further is one of them going to take it in an unexpected direction. And it wasn't some like weird abstract programming exercise. It was a, something along the lines of, Hey, you know, we want to overhaul our contact form. So mm. overhaul the contact form. Some, something like okay. that. It wasn't that. Yeah. I wish I could remember what it's it interesting was. to go loose with it so you can yeah. interpret their you yeah, yeah, yeah. with it rather than try to replicate this exactly. Right. And 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 by definitely by that stage, that's what we needed, right? They were both clearly they had the technical chops, they had the experience, all the other things, right? We got uh, past the red flag, and it was really thinker. just we needed to see how they how they approach things. Right. And what they did with them and like, would they be creative? That sort of stuff. Well, let's do a little rapid fire ending of this thing where this is a little tricky on radio. Hopefully by the time we're done with this series of interviews that there's some kind of uh, visual component to it so people can see this. But I just, I went to Dribble, as we all know, as a kind of a social platform for people posting their designs, often finished products, sometimes works in progress. But, and I just grabbed a few things that were clearly websites. Some are you know, the, the the screenshot is mobile. Sometimes it's desktop. And they're just, you know, I didn't spend a ton of time picking out, you know, the perfect thing that I wanted X, Y, and Z answer from. They're just kind of a random smattering of designs. And, 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 and I'm not, I don't want to ask the people that asked this question to, to deeply analyze exactly how they would approach every aspect of these designs. But like, what pops to your mind quickly? Like, what's going to be challenging? What's going to be, what would I push back on? What's going to be a problem? What part looks fun? That kind of like this, anything that pops to your mind, like when you look at a visual design, mm. what pops into your mind as a, as specifically as a front end developer. So do you have these links, Eric? Or I, should I post do. Them? Okay. They're open in Let's tabs even. The first one is uh, for all food lovers and for the radio is kind of a, a scrolling vectory. I don't know. You can see it, Eric. We'll deal with the visual part later. Like when you look at this 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 kitchen food lovers design, what's a few things that pop into your mind? Uh, what pops into my head is I'm going to be uh, asking for a lot of SVG resources, a lot of SVG assets, and a lot of uh, CSS animation, most likely. Uh, although some of it might be DOM scripted, the anim the animation triggers might be DOM scripted because it looks like. It looks like there's a thing, there's an animation that starts once you scroll to the right point in the screen, in the, in the page. Mm -hmm. So that's probably going to be DOM triggered, but uh, then CSS animated. Other than that, I mean, it looks, what I, what I see here is I see some fairly simple content that will be fairly easy to structure. And then there's going to be a whole lot of decoration. And that's not, that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just there's a whole lot of decoration here. And in interesting ways, I mean, we've got sort of the, we've got the diagonal lines that things sort of cut across and, you know, I think it's going to be fun figuring out how to make sure everything sort of relates in the way that the designer intended. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire. 
Uh, how about this, the, uh, the events one and now for the, I guess for the radio, it looks a little, looks a little bit, I don't know, Facebooky almost. It's a, there's a sidebar menu and there's lots of widgets and lists and bars and headers and just, it looks kind of like, you know, I hate to say boring, but it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not as visually stimulating as the last one. It's more elegant dash, dashboard of information. Yeah. It's a lot more a lot more dashboardy. It actually, it reminds me of something and I wish I could think of what, um, <laughs> cause it, the first thing that came to mind was meetup, but it doesn't really look like meetup. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, this is another one for me. Whenever I look at a thing, I'm like, instead of seeing the green characters in the matrix, I see HTML structures. That's literally where I start. And so you immediately start outlining like H1, H2, H or probably at this stage is more heading, heading, heading. That's a list. That's an ordered list because of the nature of it. Um, you know, over there is a, is maybe an unordered list. You know, this is, a, and especially for the design, this particular design is a lot of lists. Some of them are prettied up to not look like lists, but they're still lists. I see lots of lists mm. here. What about this? Uh, what about these events today, tomorrow, this week, Tuesday? Um, I would, that would be a list and then inside each list item would, that would be an ordered list specifically. And inside each list item would be like time elements and stuff like that because of the, the mm. date based nature of it. Um, you know, but I'm going to go with lists because again, it comes back to accessibility. Someone with a, like a voiceover, or other speaking browser, they're going to hit a list and then the, the, it's going to tell them, you know, list, you know, six items or 10 items or 20 items and they can skip past it. Um, you know, and it's, and hopefully the list is always going to come after the heading, right? So upcoming events, you know, ordered list, two items, or maybe it's 10 items. Oh, even those two different things. Would, would that even that's a list? Oh, I almost promise you they're not. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a visual design, but if you look underneath yeah. those two items, the Thursday, the 14th, and Monday, the 23rd, there's a little box that says see all, all upcoming events. And my guess is if when this was implemented, you click on that and then it just magically injects everything. Like you're not going to go to a new page, right? Mm -hmm. So those other eight items, let's say, are probably there. They're just hidden, right? So the list is going to say is going to be 10 items and we just hit eight of them some, you know, with JavaScript or whatever, I would, that's an implementation detail. So upcoming events, you know, six items, 10 items. But the point being that, you know, I wanted to say, you know, heading to let's, I, I just made that up, but heading to upcoming events list, so, you know, 10 items, but the person who's hearing it knows that that's upcoming events and it's something they, they probably want to hear about. Whereas if they get to the part, you know, heading level four contacts, you know, ordered list, 26 entries. You're like, oh, I can skip that. I know who my contacts are, right? That sort of uh, thing. So I look at this and I, well, I look at anything, you know, I see structure right everywhere. I'm, I'm like, I'm like the Haley Joel Osment in the sixth sense. Like, I see markup <laughs> all the time everywhere. <laughs> um, a lot of lists on this page, this, lists and time elements. And I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's like a social network. It's a, it's, it's like an upcoming, I mean, let's, let's be honest. It may not look exactly like upcoming did, but it's an upcoming kind of thing. It's a, it's a social calendar kind of deal. So yeah, it's a lot of lists, even though they might be presented as like windows 10 start menu panes that can slide in and out. They might look like that, but there's, this is still a lot of lists as opposed to the food lovers, 
doesn't have a lot of lists in it. To go back to the last one, there's there's a couple of places where I can see things that might be lists. But yeah. That's it. I, you know, when I looked at it, I see exactly what you're saying now. I don't, that wasn't my first instinct, but that is, that's like, it's definitely just a bunch of lists up and down. There it is. Yep. Okay. So next one, this is a, um, it's called sibling mm-hmm. dribble shot by, by Steve. Well, probably the, perhaps the simplest looking visually of the things we've looked at so far. It's a poster yep. that is in landscape and at least half the text is, Vertical instead of horizontal, or at least sideways, the right yeah. side of the poster. Sideways, yeah. sideways, I should say. So what what's going on there? All the grid, all the time, baby. <laughs> I'm <laughs> gridding the whole... for CSS grid? I mean, anyone who's seen uh, Jen Simmons' labs, uh, labs.jensimmons.com, where she's like redone posters and grid, the, I, I'm literally sending her this link after, the, after we're done here to say, hey, here... Is this one you might want to turn into code this one? Yeah, just because I mean, it's got it's got rating mode, it's got grid, it's got uh, fonts, right? It's got custom fonts. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, and I I look, I can see how I would implement it. It would actually be interesting. Actually, maybe I should uh, get in contact with Steve Wolf, who did this poster, and say, what would you think of not exactly a CSSN garden, but like just sort of taught like me or Jen or somebody tossing this to the the world to say how you know implement this how would you implement this um and i'd be scared of the vertical text and i know the, the writing mode is yeah. there's jen's done research there but i would be scared that i would screw it up somehow or that even though that i could get the text vertical with transforms maybe yeah. but that's probably not the right way to do it i know writing mode's the more correct way to do it but when i mess with writing mode am i changing some deep accessibility thing like is it still english when i mess with writing mode or what like i'd be not that i couldn't solve it but i'd be scared of it okay but that to me uh, you saying that my immediate thought is that's why you should do this you should you should head towards your fear right yeah do it solve it these are solve it and then find out like did i like did i break things did i mess anything up you know because it's not like you're doing this for a paying client Right. Mm-hmm. You can just, I got to jump into my pit of snakes here. Right. But you can, you can just take this, you know, I mean, you could ask Steve, but if you're not going to publish it, if you're just going to do it for yourself, you could take this and be like, how close can I get to the doing this? And then like, I can show it to some people that I, that I know who know these kinds of things. You know, I can run it through voiceover or I can ask my accessibility friend, my partner, you know, who does that kind of thing. Hey, did I, is anything like totally broken now? Or did I get it right? And, you know, but yeah, this is, I just, this to me is, is an experiment because this is the kind of thing. Yes. We, you could do it as a quote unquote web page. And maybe this would be across the top of, uh, it's, it's part of the sibling speaker series. So maybe there's a page for the sibling speaker series that has all the events. And this is across the top because it's the, let's say it's the next one. Oh, you're even thinking wider than what we're seeing here. To, I mean, to an extent, because it, it, you know, the caption says it's part of a series, <laughs> um, oh, right? Um, but yeah, you know, it would be interesting to see, like, could this be done across the top of the page that has the entire series listed? And then, like, when this one's done, then the next one, like, whatever the next poster is, has this wholly different look, maybe. And it's maybe it's implemented totally differently. Maybe the next one has no grid because it doesn't need it. But it would just be fun to do. Anyway, and i i would uh, I would go completely like full cutting edge, 
right? Because again, I look at this and I think, and I can see the structure that I would do here. It's a very simple structure. And then I would just go like full throttle, you know, main engines to 107%. Let's just do everything. Like I'm doing blend modes and I'm doing writing mode and I'm doing grid and I'm doing, you know, anything that I, anything I can come up with, because this is a place to experiment in my opinion. Let's, um, I know we're running a little long here, but let's do one more for fun here. This, the, this next one is mobile specific kind of, or at least that's how it was visually mocked up here. Two different screens of a mobile app, it's this financial app kind of thing. Yeah. And it, you know, it looks like a clean modern design that has some financial stuff on it, as well as some, some kind of charts. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing that you see here? They lists. Again, <laughs> um, for the most part, because that chart, for example, there's a there's a bar graph, but it's like uh, there's a there's might a, even you would make an HTML list version of this chart, even most likely, and then I would yeah. literally use CSS to turn that into the chart itself. Um, mm-hmm. Probably some DOM scripting. You know, it would have to grab whatever the value is for that day. You know, it's like you know, the bank balance or whatever it is. It's showing you. Um, to say, okay, this is how tall this bar should be, right? Like there's going to be a little bit of scripting here, but not a ton. Um, and then all the stuff where it shows like your bank transfers and your charges and your credits and everything. Like, again, it's uh, probably a list. Um, and, you know, I'd, I would want to see more here just to be sure, but most likely. Like I would rather have that kind of a structure than do every single one as a div because a div, you know, you have no idea... If you're using a, some sort of assistive technology, you don't know where you are. It's like, how many more divs do I have to go? You don't, you don't know, right? Whereas in a list, you know that there are 10 items and you're on the fourth one, or there were 700 items and you're on the second one, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, so the, it's funny that you think of lists immediately as the fact that it, it, they so clearly present themselves as how many list items there are is such a great contextual clue for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then when, I mean, when it comes to the implementation, there's a lot of gradients here and I'm just going to be doing CSS gradients like right, left and center, just all over the place. I'm not, I'm not going to use images for any of this. Probably. I don't, except for the, uh, there's a little user icon in the corner in a, in a circle. There's a user avatar, which looks mm-hmm. like it's a picture of somebody that's like, from what I can tell one JPEG on the whole page. Yeah. That's, I don't see anything else that needs to be, well, okay, maybe the little shopping cart, but that might even, you might be able to, well, that would be SVG. Yeah, there's one raster image on this entire page and two SVGs that I can see. That's it. Everything else is going to be text of one variety Great. or another. In my, It would be my guess. Well, let's leave it there. Thanks so much for the all the insight on those. It's fascinating. It'll be extra fascinating when we have other guests look at the same thing and see what they see. Yeah. Will they see lists as well or, or will they see different things? Okay, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, yeah. guys. Sorry I mattered on yeah. for so long and ran uh, us over. Oh, no. Thank you, Eric. We really appreciate you coming on. I, I think just, A, your your kind of breadth of experience here in CSS really, I think, helps everyone kind of understand the role of kind of what a front-end developer is and what it or what it might be um, as we're kind of discovering. So we really appreciate you coming on. Um, for those who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Uh, so I, I have my website at myerweb.com where I actually still blog and I still accept comments. Um, 
I think I'm the one of the last sites. Bold choice. I know, choice. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like the comments are actually worthwhile because they're uh, curated. Well, when you're the moderator, yeah. they always are. Yeah. Uh, Meyer Web uh, on most social media, Twitter, etc. Uh, I mean, giving me money, I don't have a, a Patreon or anything like that. Um, but uh, there's books, and you could always come to the conference and event apart. We have a good time, as uh, you boys know. Uh, and you have a book on the the book on a book yes design for real life which is not a css book it's the one non-css book that i've written uh, co-written in fact with sarah walker betcher who she and i wrote design for real life that's another Mm. another thing yes well great yep everyone check it out and um well thank you uh eric for coming on and thank you dear listener for downloading this in your podcast or choice be sure to star heart favorite it up that's how people find out the, about the show if you uh, enjoy this series please share it um on on the twitters we we uh look forward to to hearing what y'all think about all this and um uh let's see it follows on twitter at shop talk show for tens of tweets a month if you hate your job over shop talk show.com slash jobs get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you and chris do you have anything else you'd like to say mm, shop talk show.com <laughs>